be shrewd as serpents, Jesus said. Remember that? When he sent his apostles out on their first kind of inaugural mission, he told them to be like serpents, at least in shrewdness, but he also said be innocent as doves. Today, I think we can all agree that Jesus puts a serpent before us, not a dove. And though we might recoil at this snake of a man, Jesus puts him here for your good. Shrewdness, practical wisdom, street smarts, we might say. Not the squandering, not the lying, not the scheming, not the greed. Be innocent as doves, but be wise, clear-headed. His master praised him, Jesus said, because he acted shrewdly. Now, this man was a squanderer, wasn't he? He was wasteful, like the prodigal son from Jesus' parable in the previous chapter of Luke's gospel. And in fact, Luke's gospel mentions no time, in no change in time or place. He told the parable of the prodigal son in answer to the Pharisees who grumbled, and then he turned to his disciples and said these words in the same place at the same time. So he tells them now about another squanderer, another wasteful man, and he links those two, this steward and that prodigal son, so that you, the disciples of Jesus, would see different dimensions of yourself in these two men. Charges were brought against the man, and he couldn't dispute them. Everything was about to be revealed. It was accounting day, right? And accountants always mean crisis time, don't they? You don't call your accountant, at least usually, when everything is going well. You call the accountant and you look at the books when you're not sure how things are, where you, when you need to know how much money is left in the account. This man was in a crisis presently. Turn in the account of your management right now, his master told him, for you can no longer be the manager. Everything in this parable is in the present tense. And that book that his manager wanted would be opened, and with it, the steward would be finished. The master would see how much he had been taking for himself. That's perfectly fine, right? That's how stewards were paid, of course. But the master would also see exactly how much the steward had been taking for himself, both what he deserved and whatever extra he was skimming for himself. Not only that, but the books don't hide anything, do they? The master would see how the management of all the stuff in the household had been going. Were his servants being given the proper wages at the proper time, or was everything in disarray? Was the land being well cared for? Was it plowed and fertilized and sown and harvested? After all, you can hide a lot of things as a steward, but you can't fake whether the grain and the oil are in the barn or not. And you can't fake how much grain is in the barn. You can't fake how much oil is there. Harvest has a way of revealing whether you've been working or not. Yes, it was accounting day. It was crisis time for the manager. And crisis is always scary, isn't it? But as I've told you before, God gives crises Crises? What's the plural? Somebody tell me afterwards. God gives us these times of crisis to bring clarity. It was crisis time. That's scary. 
But that meant it was time for evaluation, it was time for judgment, it was time for the master to prove things. To not simply be satisfied with what was reported to him, but to look for himself and see just what kind of a manager do I have here. Now you can hear Jesus takes us into the mind of this man, doesn't he? What am I going to do? As soon as I give him the books, my life is over. He's going to take away my management. And that moment of realization was certainly painful for the manager. Who knows how long he thought he could keep up the ruse. Who knows how long he thought he could keep the wool pulled over his manager's eyes. Who knows? All we know is that now the day of reckoning was upon him. And that realization was critical for him just as it is critical for you. See, the man could have tried to comfort himself, couldn't he? He could have looked for like a false security. He could have said to himself, well, maybe the master won't understand what's written in the books. After all, this is what I do for a living. Maybe he won't really see what's written down there. Or maybe he could have trusted in his own ability to justify it all. I know what I'll do. I'll explain how all this mismanagement really isn't my fault. How it's actually the servants who are to blame. Or maybe, maybe he could have just distracted himself. That's always tempting, isn't it? After all, who wants to think about hard things? Who wants to think about gloomy things? Who wants to think about being called to account? He could have just remembered all the fun he had, all the fun times, all the fun memories, all the enjoyment, all the pleasure. He could have been completely carried away in those things. But see, trying to avoid a crisis is a surefire way to fail in it. Avoidance may work in some cases, but when the crisis comes, the wisdom that Jesus praises is not the wisdom of avoidance. Shrewd disciples, put it another way, don't sugarcoat things. They don't pass the buck either. They realize them for what they are. And when time is up, we have to face the facts. Now, of course, when you hear the parable, I'm sure that your sense of justice cries out like mine. Oh, you're too weak to dig? You're too ashamed to beg? Well, too bad. You should have all thought of all of that before you squandered your master's possessions. But honest deliberation is critical when you're facing a crisis. And when you're in a crisis, it is not the time to look back and say, oh, I should have, oh, if only I would have, oh, if only I could have. It's not the time for trying to relive the past, which is impossible. And it's also not the time for wishful thinking. Well, maybe, possibly, perhaps this will work. It's not the occasion for self-deception. It is the time for honesty about limitations and abilities and for going for what actually works. Now, when you hear me talk in church, when we speak in this place about times of crisis, about things coming to an end, your mind is probably drawn to the very end, right? The day of the Lord, the last day, rightly so. This parable should make us think about the day when we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, when the books will be opened, when everything will be seen. But it is not only the final accounting that puts these questions to us. The end of the world, yes, but also the reality of our own death, or maybe even just the end of the world as we know it. 
shaky and uncertain times when everything is shaking in the world around us or perhaps simply in the world within us, in my little world. These are all times of crisis, times when the Lord gives us a shaking up, times when the Lord calls things to account, times when he opens the book so that we have to go through a crisis. Now, the last day is certainly the big one, but it is far, far from the only time when you will go through a crisis. And Jesus, Jesus would have you, his dear disciples, to be wise for all times. I know what I'll do, the man says. See, he recognized the crisis, and that led him to some honest deliberation, and that deliberation then gave birth to action. It's one thing to know that you're in a pinch, right? But it's another to actually follow through on. And see, here's one of the other blessings that the Lord gives us when he puts us in a crisis. He forces our hand. We all know that it's too common, isn't it, to make excuses, to delay, to procrastinate, to know in my mind, yes, I should make a change here or I should make a change there, but to never actually get around to doing it. God forces our hand. He forces us not only to think and to plan, but he forces us to follow through. And yet it's perfectly possible, isn't it, to realize all of this. It's perfectly possible to know that we're living in uncertain times, to be honest with ourselves, and then to act and only make everything worse. The all-important question that is clarified in times of crisis is if you are wise or not. After all, fools don't just sit around in a crisis, do they? Some of them get very busy multiplying all kinds of folly. So notice then, right? Notice this morning the crucial line that divides the unjust and wasteful manager from folly into wisdom. Here's how Jesus put it that they may receive me into their homes. That's the crucial point in the parable that Jesus is telling. The man reveals his wisdom in this, that he knows how to take what is temporary, his position, and find something that will last. He had one last chance, right? He had only the time it would take him to go home, to get the book, and to come back to his master's house. He had this one last chance to turn that fleeting, failing, passing away into something that would be stable, something that would be permanent. He had this one last chance as his house caved in to transfer himself into a house that would endure. Make friends for yourselves, Jesus says, by means of the unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails you, they those friends, may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Do you realize that you are living in a crisis? Or do, you just, or do you suppose that everything is going to work out just fine? Are you able to be honest with yourself? Or are you just hoping that somehow, some way, even if we just keep on doing what we've been doing, which has gotten us into a mess, it'll all work itself out? And if you know these things... Do you know what is temporary and what is not? That's what this parable pushes home for us this morning. This is the wisdom and shrewdness that Jesus says is in short supply, sadly, among the sons of light. 
in the sons of this age, that is, those who have not been born again by water and the Spirit, there is this wisdom. They pay very close attention to the times, don't they? They transfer temporary things for more permanent ones all the time. It's called good investment. They transfer status, status, they transfer prestige, and they are especially good at managing their finances. Meanwhile, all these things that they are so shrewd with are passing away. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? The unrighteous wealth is not maybe going to fail you. Jesus says the unrighteous wealth will fail you. And that little word that's translated as wealth, you've probably heard this before, is actually the word mammon. Mammon means not just money, not just finances, but it means all the stuff of this world, all the stuff of stuff, stuff's stuff. Jesus says it is all fleeting, it is all temporary. Now the conniving and the scheming and the lying and the wasting of the steward in the parable is not for you to emulate. Be innocent as doves, Jesus says, but you must be wise as this serpent steward. He knew what was fading. This is the crucial point. He knew what was fading was to be used to store up what is actually lasting. Fading time must be turned in for eternity. Fading mammon must be exchanged for true riches and fading relationships for those that will last forever. That they may receive you into the eternal dwellings, Jesus says. Who are these friends? Well, presently, your fellow disciples here probably don't look like too much to you. The view from the pulpit is like the view from the pews, not all that special. The Pharisees and the scribes sure thought that the people Jesus was hanging around with were pretty useless. Christians in this world are certainly despised, aren't they? They are mocked, they are ridiculed, or if they don't face that, they are just kind of largely ignored. We are all completely ordinary people. But we are also sons of light, Jesus says. Sons of the day, you might put it. And every Christian, this is how we should see one another. Indeed, every person who you encounter is an eternal person. We will all live forever, every Christian in glory, but every unbeliever tragically in fire. Mammon looks like it's so important. All the stuff and stuff's stuff seems so significant. It seems to us so solid, so meaningful, so trustworthy. And on the other hand, Christians look so ordinary. Friends fail us. Our own family doesn't always follow through. But our stuff, that's always there for us, right? You may disappoint me this morning, but when I go home, well, all my stuff is right where I left it. So it all appears, but what Jesus tells you today is that, the th- that things are not always as they seem. Mammon will indeed fail, and your friends, there are friends who will not. This is one of the reasons that Jesus teaches us to tithe. It is a discipline, if you will, in this kind of wisdom. It is practice in shrewdness. Because here's the reality, my money isn't going to last, but you will. My bank account, my credit score, and all the creature comforts that I've built up, they won't follow me to the grave, but you will. The church of Christ will last. My life, my energy, my power, my ministry will come to a close, but Christ's will endure. 
and you who help and receive one another in these temporary tents will also receive one another in the heavenly mansion above. Now, is Jesus saying that we can buy our way into heaven? It almost sounds like it, doesn't it? But of course, by no means is this what Jesus is teaching us. Love and mercy and generosity and hospitality aren't going to buy you a ticket to heaven. Only the blood of Christ can pay for that. Only the blood of Christ has paid for that. But your love will be rewarded. Now it will be rewarded in your brothers and sisters here, and they will not forget you in the age to come. Why is this so hard for us to see? I'll tell you why it's hard for me. Because the crisis doesn't feel all that pressing. Even when we live in a world where everything is volatile, everything is kind of shaking upside down, mammon seems so solid. It seems so secure. Everything's going to be okay, right? It always has been. It always will be. And heavenly life, heavenly life seems distant and clouded, kind of like driving through the fog this morning. It's for this reason that Christ sends us these little crises. He sends us these little shake-ups and wake-ups so that we learn wisdom before it is too late. Every time the gospel is preached, there is a crisis brought on this world and those who hear the word of Jesus. It was that way when Christ walked on earth, and it is that way now when he is seated in power. This old world was fading away. Just think of what it was like there in Jerusalem. Here comes the Messiah proclaiming his kingdom now present in his person. And the temple and the priesthood and the sacrifices and the customs of Moses that had stood for so long, well, their time was up. But that time of accounting was not just the time to take away old things. It was also the time when Jesus was giving something new, something better than the temple, a high priest superior to Aaron's sons, a once and for all sacrifice that all could enter into, and a revelation better than that which came from Mount Sinai. Israel passed away, didn't it? In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed by the Romans and Jerusalem was cast down. But that was far from the last crisis that our world would go through. The Roman Empire, where is it now? And even what we call Christendom, it went through its upheavals and it faded away and changed drastically in the time of the Reformation. And it's hard now, isn't it? It's probably impossible not to feel like America is going through this same process. Our times call for wisdom, for facing the facts, for admitting that things have indeed been squandered, but for finding hope in what does not and will not pass away, the gospel of Jesus Christ and his community, the Holy Christian Church. We must see each and every Lord's Day anticipating that final day of the Lord. Like I said a minute ago, whenever the gospel of Christ is proclaimed, there is a crisis. That crisis comes to you today, and it is meant to bring you the gift of clarity. Just think, right? Week in and week out, we are called to account by our master. Now, some want to run from him, thinking they can get away. Others think that, well, he doesn't really see, or he doesn't really know, or he doesn't really care enough to do anything about our wastefulness. But others, week in and week out, are schooled in true wisdom. 
We come into this place and we are taught the wisdom of the holy life of faith that lives in repentance and love. So here we come and we face facts. I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you. And here we come and take refuge in that which endures, not our stuff and our stuff's stuff, but the stuff of Christ, his gospel, his blood, his body, his forgiveness. Here we learn to cry out, let grace come and let this world pass away. Here we participate in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Here we have a word and a table that lasts. In worship, we are schooled in this wisdom. For here we find that heavenly life is not simply something far off to be glimpsed through the fog. It is something present It is something solid. It is something to be taken up now. It is something to be sacrificed for here. It is solid and sure, even as the pew beneath you and the people beside you are. So learn this wisdom of Jesus, that in the time of your crisis, whether it's a big world-shaking crisis or simply a small shakeup, that in the time of every crisis, you may be praised by your master Jesus, for you acted shrewdly. To Christ be all the glory now and forever. Amen.